0: prayed in a garden <clears throat> hours before he would go through the most excruciating thing that anyone has ever known, all because of something that happened in a garden hundreds of years before that. Guys, it's so easy, especially if we're brought up in the church, to kind of hear the phrase that, well, Jesus died for you. It's like, well, it's not Easter. It's not talking about his resurrection yet. It's not talking about his crucifixion unless. Good Friday, or maybe we use that phrase just to kind of twist people's arm. And if you don't surrender to Jesus, you're going to burn in hell, and there's truth in that, but we got to think of the motivation behind why God came in the form of Jesus. That God so loved the world that he gave, that there was this action that he did. Because of his extreme, God, his audacious, irresponsible love for us. He prayed in agony in a, in a garden, Why? because he didn't want the cross. Guys, when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus in the garden, it says that he took three of his disciples. I mean, all the disciples went and he took the three Peter, James, and John a little further, and he just looks at him and said, just pray with me. You need to pray. And there was something different about Jesus that night. The disciples had never seen him like this, and maybe actually for the last, I don't know, few months, they have just noticed something different about him. And the Bible says that Jesus went about a stone's throw away and collapsed to the ground and just cried out, And part of what he prayed was, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. And I feel like a lot of times, and this is the word, this is the word I preach this a lot, and I like, I like using just pointing us to Jesus in the garden and the cross and the resurrection. But I, I don't know that he said it that quickly. Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. I want to be started with God. Father, take this cup from me. Please. So what's he saying? What's this cup? In the Old Testament, the cup would be the representation of the of the wrath of God. So what he's saying is, Father, take your wrath from me. But, because at some point in the garden, he prayed this prayer, and it's in John 17, it's the whole chapter. We just kind of look over that part, because, well, I know that's it's a longer chapter, it's just easy to go, okay, this is what he said, and we move on, but if you really want to know what he prayed in the garden, part of John chapter 17, around verse 23 or 24, is where, Jesus, the only time I can see in the gospel accounts where he actually looks at the Father and says, this is what I want. Every time it's like you hear Jesus talking, it's like I only do the things I see the Father doing. I only say the things I hear him saying. And yet here he says this, Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in my glory. The guys, in the garden. He's praying for who? Us. Those that the Father has given to him, he says, I want them to be with me. Guys, I'm convinced from cover to cover, you want to tweet scripture, the one message of scripture. In one tweet, it's this. God with us, that we might be with him. God with us, that we might be with him. And I know there'd be people that would disagree and argue, and it's the finer points. And I'm just saying in a tweet, you want to put it in like 240 characters. God with us, that we might be with him from cover to cover. You'll see that phrase, and God's saying, I will be with you, and I'll be with you, and I'll be with you. I'll dwell among you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Even the parts where we're not to be, don't be afraid. Why? Because the Lord your God, he will be with you. And Jesus says, I want those that you've given to me to be with me where I'm to see me in my glory. I want them to see me for who I am. And so can you see why all of a sudden Jesus would say, take this cup from me. Oh, but I want them. So not my will, your will be done. Almost like if there's any other way to do this, just do it that way. It's like he's looking at the Father going, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to experience this. And if you notice in the Gospel counts the Father never responds one word. Never says the Father spoke. It actually says an angel came and ministered to him. So that could be like the message from the Father. The angel would not speak on his own, but only that which the Father would give him father himself never even answers his own son after the first time it says that he walked Jesus walked back to his disciples and they were sleeping he said I used to be judgmental with them but just like I explained last night if you've ever tried to pray in the middle of the night or right when you get to bed you fall asleep I feel for him and they didn't understand everything that was going on but then he looks at us and says Kid, you gotta even stay awake for an hour why would he say that well guys just I don't know, maybe an hour before that, he looks at all his disciples and said, every single one of you are going to desert me tonight. And here comes Peter, Simon Peter. He's like, no. And then he goes, even if all of these do, it's like even if all these slackers do, I, I would go to prison. I would die for you. I would die, I'll die with you. It's time to pray. And then he has to wake him up and go. It's kind of like he's looking at Peter going, you would die for me? Like you couldn't even stay awake for an hour to pray? Guys, I know that a lot of times we're like, I'm just all in for you, Jesus. I totally know what I'm feeling. And I think Jesus is sitting there going, gosh, I know you feel that." But is it really this love affair with him? Is it this true commitment? Not because that's what good Christians do. Every follower of Jesus is supposed to. Guys, Paul's the one who said, if I, if I to, give up my body to be burned like I was a martyr, but have not love, it's like I've gained nothing. You start thinking through that passage. It's the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's like, if I do all these things by speak in the tongue of men of angels, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. But have not love. Love for what? You say, well, it's for people, and I think it goes deeper than that. Because if I'm supposed to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me, it's really hard to love those who hate me and want me dead. So who am I supposed to be loving above everything? It's Jesus. Everything comes out of this overflow love of Jesus. It's all about him. So he looks at his disciples. Did you stay, guys, you've got to stay awake. I know the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. You have to pray. And he goes back a second time and collapses to the ground, begins to pray the same thing. Comes back the second time, they're asleep, and doesn't wake them. Let them be. Goes back a third time, prays the same thing. Guys, Luke is the only one who, he's the only one that records this part. He's the doctor. If you know who, if you didn't know his trade, he didn't know his job, his background, he's a medical doctor back in the day. He's the only one that records this. And it says, it says in his gospel account, it says, and Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. And that's not poetic license, like he was in just so much agony. It's like his sweat looked like blood. Guys, there's a there's a there's a medical condition that happens to us for those who go through. Just through extreme anxiety or tear it just overwhelms you it's called hematidrosis that the capillaries in your forehead will burst and you will sweat drops of blood blood will be intermixed with your sweat jesus is terrified of what's coming and then an after effect or something that comes because of hematidrosis your skin becomes hypersensitive to touch jesus is terrified in the garden why because of something that happened in a garden. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Guys, the enemy, the enemy's, an, uh, I hate him. But we got to give him props. He knows what he's doing. Guys, he's had a long time to perfect his transformation christians sometimes we walk around a little bit too arrogant it's like i command you and jesus is like why don't you just pray to me because it's not about us we're not that impressive it's about the jesus who's in us but did you see how it is that he tempts the woman did god actually say and doesn't he say it the same way today like you take this book, it's like, did God really, want? did God really write this? Is this really all that impressive? Is it really all that divine? And then there's parts in here. I mean, come on, it's like, this doesn't fit our culture. So did God really mean this? It does the same thing today. And what do we have a world doing? Falling into it. And what do we have followers of Jesus doing? Falling into it. People proclaiming to love Jesus and be submissive to, a, to his word justifying why it is that we can dis- we can disagree and then therefore disobey the direct things that God has said is for our good all in the name of self-preservation or self-identification it's all about me finding out who I am rather than realizing that outside of Christ I am sinner and the only true identity that I can have that is meaningful in any way is follower of Jesus even before that loved by God created in the image of of him. Guys, when I get to that point, it doesn't matter what I accomplish. All that matters is that I'm his. So people will take parts of the Bible that they like and other parts that they don't, and they'll say, okay, let's do this part. And this part, nah, that's not about me. That's not how I feel. That's not what I want to do. That's not how I want to think. And so we take the very commands of God. We take the words of God that are written out of this father's heart for his kids that we would experience life the way that he wants us to and twist him all because an enemy comes along and says did god really say and we sit and go i'm not sure did god really and now watch what he says did god really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden and yet we know from the pages of scriptures the first two chapters god made every tree every fruit bearing tree for what purpose for food so he comes down and like, did he really say you can't have any, you can't eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. They didn't really understand death. They hadn't seen it yet. But it sounds bad. Doesn't sound bad? If you eat of this tree, you're going to die. I don't want that. What is it you don't want? people that's when they sit there and go why do you make that tree why does he make it and we have all i mean there's always there's these opinions about it i've heard people say well without the ability to choose there's no ability to love and whatever i don't know why it doesn't exactly say in the scriptures here's exactly why god made the tree but here's the thing god made the rest of the planet for their enjoyment why do you have such a desire for the one thing he says don't do it's the same reason we do too Who's been to Disneyland? So you've given up your college tuition, right, to go look at a talking mouse. It's expensive. It's expensive. It's Like, ah, Dylan, you don't need a college education. Let's go. Let's go. And then you get in there, and you ever ever see those signs that say cast members only, which is really just a fancy way of saying employees only. I hate those signs because I'm like, I just spent 12 grand to come inside, write a. Ride a ride and get a churro. I mean, come on. I should get to go anywhere I want. If I want to try on this stuff, I can try on this stuff. If I want to become Chewbacca for two hours, I'm going to take his suit. I don't want to be told what to do. We don't like to be told what to do. Why? Because we want to be God. I know a lot of people that for some reason, that's the one thing that holds them back from surrendering to God because somehow God made this tree that was so alluring. Guys, I don't think he did. I think he picked a tree in the midst of the garden. I don't think it was glowing. I don't think it had glitter. I don't think it spoke. I don't think it sang a song. I don't think that the fruit looked better than all the rest. I think he just picked one. So just leave that one alone. But the rest, you know, the garden, and then, oh, there's a whole planet. Have a blast. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Because there's a couple of things that he tempts them with. Number one, you'll be like God. I used to think that was the only one in there. I heard someone preach on this, and they brought up another one. I went, I have never seen that before. It's like, if you eat of it, you're going to know good and evil. Guys, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to know good and evil anymore. I loved life when I was five. My whole job when I was five was to play. I mean, I like to ride my bike... Like across the street, in the street. It wasn't a busy street. We'd just ride our bikes and just be home when it starts to get dark. See, why? Because you don't get hit hit by a car. It's like we just played. It didn't matter. Just play. I didn't know good and evil. Just play. Is it really all that great to know good and evil? You'll be like God. But what does he say before that? God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. In other words, he's saying, God knows that if you do this, something great's going to happen. In other words, God's holding out on you. Like, trust me, I know what's fun. I know it's great, and God's holding out on you. is that what he's saying? Man, it's good. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's justification number one, right? Number two, that it was a delight to the eyes. Number three, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. There's three reasons as to why it should be okay, even though God gave one command, don't. She came up with three reasons as to why it was okay. And we do the same thing. God says don't, or God says do, and we come up with at least three reasons. And if we can get enough people around us to agree with us, then we can go against God and say, we disagree. And I gotta be honest, guys, when God says or when we say to God, we disagree, and it's something that he is absolutely 100% clear on, God sits and goes, I don't care. I don't care. And I get to sit there and go, but here's all the reasons. Then look at all my life experience. And God's like, I know, you're 45, and I'm eternal. I win. So what happened? Of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I gotta look at Adam and go, What the heck were you doing? You got this talking serpent talking to your wife? And you're just like, (laughs) It's a talking snake. And he knows the command. Guys, I'm convinced the reason that she knew the command is because he passed it on to her, it was given to him first. So the reason she knows is because he told her. And he's just sitting there. <laughs> I used to always picture like he's off somewhere and she's getting tempted. And then she bites and then comes and gives him some fruit and he bites. No, he's just standing there. As you realize in chapter 2. In chapter 2 is when God looked at Adam and says, I want you to work the ground, I want you to keep it. I want you to work creation and keep it. Guys, that word keep is also the word translated as per- I want you to work, and I want you to protect. You ever wonder why sin passed through Adam and not Eve? They did the same thing. Well, she was deceived, and he said, "I know, but it's the same action. Why is it one deception and one is rebellion?" Because the thing that—this I mean, is my interpretation—the thing that Adam disobeyed in is he did not work the ground, and he did not protect his creation. He did not protect Eve. Someone be like, "I don't even." I didn't call you weak. And if that's your first response, you're going to get bitter for the rest of your life. When we start seeing that God has made male and female different on purpose to complement one another, beyond value, both men, women, beyond value, maybe we, yeah, absolutely have different roles and responsibilities, absolutely, but it's beautiful. He didn't do it. Took, he took some and he ate verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked. <laughs> that is the most awkward realization ever. I mean, you're naked and you don't know naked. There's no such thing as word naked, because naked just normal. And then all of a sudden it's like, what the? And then you just cover up. And you know what came from this? Laundry. Some of you students, you don't know what that's like yet. And it's not even really that hard. Think about it. We're not out there like just scrubbing our clothes. It's just like, I hate throwing this into this machine and pushing start. And then you got to fold it. Folding. It, oh my gosh. Some people are like, it's therapeutic. No, it's not. It sucks. <laughs> it's like I'm, when I get to heaven, I'm just looking at Adam and Eve and go, you know my question? He's going to go, yep, everybody's been asking. Why'd you do it? We had laundry. Yeah, we did. So all of a sudden, watch this. They're naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. <clears throat> Doesn't that sound like a five-year-old fixing the problem? Just get some leaves. Hey, we're naked. Grab those. Those look okay. So they're just plucking leaves off of a tree. They're like, that's good. Not naked anymore. Guys, what's the problem with leaves? They dry out. That's chafing, dude. That's not comfortable. Right? I'm just like, no one ever thought about this. You didn't think through the whole process. And watch this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. As I'm convinced, this is not the first time that the Lord walked through the midst of the garden. Why? Because they knew it was him. When they heard him walking, they're like, that's God. And instead of going toward, they ran away. Why? Because that's what sin causes us to do. Just think about it. Aren't you filled with shame? Guilt? I show of hands. I don't know if I said this already. Again, I don't know where I said what. When I say the word regret, did I say this already? When I say the word regret, how can how many of you can think of at least that, what, that one thing? If you could take it back, you would take it back. And every time you hear the word regret, oh shame, right? You just feel it. It's like, ugh. Guys, they had not experienced that until this moment, Guys, I think this is when shame began. I think this is when insecurity began. Anybody beside myself ever struggle with insecurity? Yep. And there's like, those that raise their hand, you're like, did I raise my hand okay? I'm insecure about that I raised my hand, right? We freak out about everything. Guys, you realize I still ask my wife almost every time I go preach somewhere, Whether she's in the room or I'm getting ready to leave, if I'm getting ready to leave and she can't be part of it, I'll just look at her and go, I can do this, right? Every time. I'm like, I don't don't know if I can. I know that some people are going, it's not you. It's the Spirit of God, and you'll get very doctrinal. That's great. I'm so glad that you have strong doctrine. Don't ever lose that. Just maybe find your heart for Jesus again. Love him and realize that he's called you to do something. And yes, insecurity will pop in. And God's given us people to remind us, thankful for my wife who doesn't get tired of hearing that from a very insecure guy and thank God that he's working in that anybody seen, has anybody seen God bring you from where you were to where you are now and gone God you are doing the work and some of it is so painful you are good verse 9 but the Lord God called to the man and said to him where are you again if they both did the exact same thing same action. Why go to the man first if she ate first? You ever wonder that? Like, he didn't, didn't say, like Adam and Eve, front and center, both of you together, same time, same question. <coughs> Adam ate, or Eve ate first, Adam ate second. But when God comes and says, why, he goes to him first. Why? You're supposed to work the ground and keep, you're supposed to work creation and keep it. So Adam, I'm holding you responsible. He looks at him. What is this you've done? It's like, what happened? Where are you? He said, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, well, t- who told you you were naked? Uh-oh. You ever said too much? Right? Especially student. And that's when your parents are like, wait a minute. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> and you wish you could suck the words back into your body before it hits the air drum. You're like, Shh, nope, that didn't work. That's this moment. Like, wait, who, who who, told you you're naked? No watch. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Here's this man, valiant husband, loving his wife, protecting her. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Not me. This one. But who else did he blame? Look in the look in the passage if you have your Bible open. He blames her, then he blames. No, he doesn't blame the serpent. God. Did you see it? The woman you gave to be with me. She gave. Like she gave it to me. She ate, and she gave it to me. Like it's not my fault, God. Like if you didn't provide this or make me this, or if I didn't have these thoughts or Feelings, it's not my fault, it's your fault. So again, instead of coming into the submission of the authority of the word of God, we just all of a sudden begin to realize that, or we think that we actually have a realization. My feelings are now my God. Therefore, I submit and worship my feelings. My feelings are solid. Guys, our feelings can be helpful, but they are fickle. They are not fickle. Woman, you gave to me, Well, she gave me, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, "What is this you've done?" Here comes the woman. Devil made me do it, not me. It was him. him. You guys, used to picture God so ticked, just mad. I pictured his just questions, just oh, just so frustrated and angry, condescending. Not anymore. It's not because I've made God less intense or changed him to what I prefer. It's just by spending time with them in the Word. I picture him looking at Adam and going, Adam, dude, what happened, man? What did you do? It's almost like you had everything. And they just blamed, and blamed, they blamed him. And you notice what Adam said when Adam said that the woman you gave me, it's not like God said, you watch your tone. And it's like he doesn't even justify himself. He doesn't protect himself. He just lets him say it. The devil made me do it, is what she says. And the Lord God said to the serpent, and then just, there's the curse. Curses the serpent, curses the woman, curses the man. Guys, it'd be one thing if that's where it left off. Like that's where it stopped. But you get down to verse 21, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Does anybody have it open? I know I didn't tell you to turn to it, but if you have it if you can get to it quick, I'd like somebody else to read it. Genesis chapter one, verse twenty one. This is a sword drill. Whoever finds it first loves Jesus the most. I'm just joking. That's not true. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm just, I'm used to your other sweatshirt, but go ahead. Nope. Chapter three, verse twenty one. There you go. I was like, boy, that's a whole other story. Did I say chapter one? Sorry. Chapter three, verse 21. My bad. Thank you. Did you hear it? God looks at what they've done, and he looks at what they've covered themselves with. And then somehow he thinks, yeah, that's not really do." They didn't ask, hey, could you help us with the clothes part? These leaves aren't going to last. They're just standing there, and what's it say? The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Friends, how do you get scar- how do you get skin from an animal to make garments of like clothing? How do you what do you have to do to the animal? You have to kill it. Did, was the animal innocent here? Yeah, the animal didn't do anything. So something innocent had to die in order to cover the sin. People who were guilty. Do you realize that in chapter three, when we broke it, God in this verse is declaring, "This is how I'm going to fix it. Something innocent will die to cover the sin of those who rebelled against me." Guys, this ch- verse 21 in chapter three, not chapter one. Chapter three is a prophetic prophecy, the prophetic word of the Messiah, the messianic prophecy. That the Christ is going to come. Jesus is going to come. Why? The innocent one is going to die in order that we can be covered by God's grace. In the same chapter we broke it is the same chapter that God says this is how we In this garden, everything broke. And in the garden that Jesus was in, he broke. He was breaking in the moment because he knew this is it. This is why he came. third time, he walks over to the disciples and he actually wakes them up. And now there's this new determination in his face. There's this new determination in his countenance and he looks at the three and he says, get up, my betrayer's at hand. And he's pointing in the distance. And they rub their eyes trying to wake up. We (coughs) weren't sleeping. We just forgot to finish the blink. And then they they look. They're peering into the darkness and they see this little mob carrying torches and clubs and spears and and then they keep looking. Is that, is that Judas? Guys, it'd be one thing if Jesus or Judas was in the back. The Bible says he was leading them. But friends, I, you got to know, there is no manlier man on the planet than Jesus. Because he looked at those who were coming to arrest him, and he did not run. He did not hide. He didn't take off and bolt behind a boulder and just hope. Oh, I hope they don't find me. If they don't find me it's God's will this don't happen. No the Bible says that he walked straight toward them. Just walked straight toward them. Can you imagine the disciples going, "No, no, we got to go." He just walks straight toward them and he stops and as they get closer he looks at Judas and he calls him friend. Friend. Do what you must do. Judas had given them a sign whoever whoever I kiss that's the man you need to arrest and he goes up and kisses him and it's like you're going to betray me with a sign of friendship? Really? And then they come and they lay hands on Jesus to arrest him and they begin to bind him. But all of a sudden, one of the disciples, good old Peter, pulls out this little sword and hacks the dude's ear off. And you're like, dang. But I'm like, what were you aiming for? <laughs> Either he's just amazing with the sword and he's like, ta. Or he sucks at it. He's like, no. Ah. Walk. Dude's ear falls off, and Jesus gets, he's like, oh, Peter, put it away. That's embarrassing. Put it away. Put it away. No, 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 no. Then the Bible says that Jesus goes over and picks up the ear. And he walks up to Malchus. That's the guy's name. And he heals him. I guess you would think that there were. Those who were standing there watching would realize, okay, this is not just a person. In fact, you know that they didn't because at another point, it's like, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he. And they all hit the ground. Boom. And they stand back up. It's like, wait, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I told you, I am he. Boom, back to the ground. Why? Because in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses said, hey, What's your name? Like, who should I say sent me? And he goes, just tell him I am sent. Me. He said, I am he. I am he. They hit the ground. He hacks off the dude's ear, and Jesus puts it back on. To be honest, if it was me, I'd be a little frustrated. If I was Jesus, I'm like, this is not funny. I'll heal it, but I, I would have put it on backwards. It's like, and then I would explain to him why it's better than everybody else. Now you can hear people talk behind your back. It's great. He just heals him, And then they bind him, and they lead him away, and every disciple takes off, every single one of them, just like he said. Book of Mark, the only one that tells us that even a young man who was with him, they grabbed onto him, and he got out of his clothes and ran away naked. And you know who most scholars think that was? Mark. Because he was young, and no one else knew about it, and he just puts it in there. Everyone bolted. Everyone left. For so for some of you sitting there, I just Jesus doesn't get what it's like. If you've ever felt deserted by all your friends, Jesus can sit there and go, I know what it feels like. I get it. As I fast forward, I'll just fast forward through this part. They take him to the high priest's house, not the temple, but the courtyard of the high priest, and they bring him in and John sneaks Peter in. They're going from a distance, and they just kind of warming themselves by the fire. And a little girl comes up to Peter going, you were with him. He's like, I don't know him. Guys, here's why it's so important. Jesus had looked at Peter and says, I know you're not, you feel like you're not going to desert me. You're going to be the worst. You're going to actually verbally say you don't know me three times before the rooster crows. Oh, I'll die for you. Little servant girl, you know I don't know him. No, no, I I've seen you. I don't know the man. Number two. Then someone comes up. I can tell. I can tell by your accent. You're one of his. And it's almost like he says, it's like he's calling curses down from heaven going, I don't know him. From the distance, you hear this rooster crow. The Bible says that Jesus looks straight up where he's sitting into the eyes of Simon Peter. And Peter ran away. And tells me about Jesus, he knows we'll sin more than we think we yeah. You realize that the same Jesus who knew that Simon would betray him, or de- actually deny him, not betray him, deny him, this is the same Jesus looked at look, looked at him and said, hey, Satan has asked to sift you, as wheat, but I've prayed for you, and when you return, he knew he, would, he knew he would deny him. He's like, but when you come back, he knew he deny. Testimonies, and they're none of them are corroborating. And, and then pretty much the high priest just stands up, just tell us, are you the Messiah? And he's pretty much like, it's like you say, Yep. And from this moment on, you're just gonna see me coming with the clouds. Something from Daniel, he's just he's just quoting it. They're like, We've heard enough, and he tears his robe, he deserves to die. And Jesus is just standing there quietly. Fast forward, they send him to Pilate. Pilate's like, it's not my responsibility. He send to Herod, sends him to Herod. Herod's kind of like this fake king. He's like, do some tricks. He wouldn't do them. He's like, get out of here. It's not my problem. Go back to Pilate. So he's having a conversation with Pilate. He's standing before Pilate. Religious leaders are there. All the mob of people have come because the religious leaders are getting men there. And Pilate's just asking. He's asking questions like, what's truth?" And, he starts, and Jesus isn't saying anything. And then Pilate says these words and paraphrases kind of like, do you not understand that I have the authority to release you? And this is my best paraphrase of Jesus. Once Pilate said, do you, not have, do you not know that I have the authority to release you? Jesus looks at him and says, oh, Pilate, you're a pawn. You're JV. Welcome to varsity. You have no play. This has been put in place before time began. This is put in place before the fall happened. How do you know? Because in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that, that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That those of you who have a relationship with Christ, the reason you know is because he picked you. Before he said, let there be light, he says, let them be mine. This was not reacting to our sin. This was all the plan of God. I like, think you got no play here. It says from that moment on, Pilate tried to release him over and over. He's like, he hasn't done anything worthy of death. Like, what are you, what are you asking for his death for? He says, okay, I'm going to show mercy. I'll have him flogged and then I'll release him. Here's flogging. They would take Jesus and go to a vertical beam that's coming up out of the ground. They would strip him of his clothes so that he's naked, and they would take leather straps, wrap it around his wrist, and then tie him to their vertical beam so his back is completely stretched out as he stands there. You get two Roman guards, one on each side, each of them holding what's called the cat of 9 tails Guys, the cat of 9 tails picture a stick about 18 inches in length. Coming at the end of, those, at, at the end of that, uh, that stick are strips of leather, and tied to the end of those strips of leather are pieces of glass, razor, sharp rock, bone. Guys, it becomes a claw. And 39 times from his neck to his calves, one Roman guard on one side and then the other one on the other side. They would come across the back of Jesus. And then they would change the angle in which they pulled back to open up his back. 39 times. Why 39? Not 40 because too many people died. At 40, they brought it back one. This is what he endured before the cross. Because he's already experienced being up all night. He's experienced being slapped around, beaten up by the temple guards. They would even blindfold him and and then slap, prophesy, who hits you? And now he's experiencing this. Can you imagine after 39? They untie him and he just collapses to the ground and blood is just pouring. And then the guards, they're not done. They just pick him up, and they found this purple robe, and they stand, stand up. They take the purple robe, and they attach it to him. It's like, oh, yeah, bring that. Someone found some found these thorns, and then they make it into a crown. They put it onto his head, and it's not staying put. So the Bible says that someone took a rod and smashed it into his head to make, say, to make sure that it stayed. And then he stands before five to 600 Roman guards. That's a cohort. And then they all start to mock. All hail, king of the Jews. All hail, king of the Jews. Face swollen, body broken open. Then they blindfolded him. They took the rod. They smashed him in the head. Prophesy who hit you. And they take him back before Pilate. Pilate's trying to come up with a plan. Goes, hey, during this time I always release one prisoner. So you, you got a choice. You want Jesus or Barabbas? This is a, this is a church softball league pitch. Like, of course they're going to pick Jesus. Why? This is a murderer. I mean, this guy's just evil. It's like, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? And all of a sudden you start hearing the chant. What do, you, what do you want me to do with this guy? And I guarantee the religious leader is the one who started it. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And then the crowd just starts screaming it. This same crowd that less than a week before, as Jesus is coming in on the cult of a donkey, they're laying down their robes. They're laying it right where he's walking in palm branches. They're just celebrating. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Guys, that phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that is their declaration that they believe him to be the Messiah. The word Hosanna means save now. And less than a week later, they're saying, kill him. And Pilate looks at him. Pilate goes away and comes back hands the eat it washes his hands in front of the people and says his blood is on you and they say not just on us but on our children and they had no idea that they were speaking prophetically and they would take the robe off of jesus and put his clothes back on and then they would begin to lead him away and as they got ready to leave they would take the cross beam not the whole cross but just the cross beam that weighed any anywhere between 80 to 120 pounds they would place it across the back of Jesus, and then Jesus would have to then embrace it. And he would walk some 600 yards. Guys, the crowds have now lined the street. Roman guards are surrounding him, trying to break through the crowds. As they're walking him forward, people would break through the Roman guards, and they would come up and slap him or spit on him pull chunks of his beard out. Yeah, guys, he just kept walking. Didn't stop. He didn't say, Oh, I'm done. Drag me, I'm not doing it. He just kept walking. Why? Because he prayed something in the garden. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am, to see me in my glory. The right of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 2. That we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. The joy set before him endured the cross. What is the joy that was set before Jesus? That he would keep taking steps. Here it is. Mind-blowing. The joy set before Jesus. Glory of God. Mm -mm. The joy set before Jesus was us. Us. Can you imagine as he took one step, smacked, I want him to be with me. Spit on, I want him to be with me. And he just kept walking till he collapses because he can't handle it anymore. And as he collapses, 120 pounds land straight on him. Roman guard finds somebody in the crowd. Get over here. What's your name? Simon. Pick it up. You're finishing it. The- I can't. That's a disgrace. I can't do it. Pick it up. Don't say no twice to the Roman guard. Guys, in order to get Jesus out, he has to pick it up. And as he's holding it, and it does, I just wonder if as Jesus is coming out, maybe Simon's trying to help him up. And as he helps him up, and Simon's holding the cross, and he, maybe they caught eye contact. And maybe Jesus had one eye swollen. He's just barely looking, barely looking through the other one. And it's just this reminder, I want him to be with me. He stands up. And Simon picks up the, the cross beam, and they begin to walk. Along the way, he sees women that are crying for him. He's like, don't cry for me. You should cry for yourselves, but weep for me. They get to go off to the place of the skull, and they would take Jesus, they would take the cross beam and attach it to the vertical beam. They would take all of clothes, all of Jesus' clothes off of his body. Why? Because part of the purpose of crucifixion was to completely humiliate the victim. And his crucifixion was, abs- that's where we get the word excruciating, or excruci- like excruciate. This is horrible, this is, this is the worst way to torture to someone. This is the worst way to die. This was Rome's way of saying, don't screw with us. Because if you do this, this, is what happens. Guys, there's historical accounts where people would be on a cross, hanging there alive for two weeks. So they took Jesus and they would strip him of his clothes and lay him across the cross down on the ground and they would take one arms stretch it out as far as they could they would take a railroad spike and drive it between the two bones that are in his wrist as they drive it through that nerve that you hit when you hit your funny bone that nerve actually goes all the way down right where your wrist is that thing is now ruptured and it's shooting up and down his arm they would take the other arm and st- stretch it out as far as they could just pull it as hard as they could and then drive a spike through the two bones in his left wrist then they would take one foot place it over the other and bend up the knees and drive a spike through both and what did Jesus say as it happened? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we think he said it one time. Guys, you realize in the original language, it wasn't that Jesus said it one time. It's that he said it over and over and over with every smash of that mallet on each spike. It's like he said, Papa, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Why would he pray for their forgiveness? Because it's in the garden. He said, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am. And still, I don't think that's why he sweat drops of blood in the garden. Then they would take the cross and they would raise it up. And, guys, as he became more vertical, gravity would pull him down everything necessary for Jesus to die on that cross that day was made by Jesus. Think about every element necessary to create the spikes, he made them. The hill, he created it. The trees necessary for the cross, he made it. The people that attached him to it, he made them. Gravity, he made it. And at one point, gravity became too strong for its creator. He pulled him down. Because of the weight of gravity, because of his weight and gravity pulling down and the angle with which he was attached to the cross, medically speaking, this is what has as his body begin to hang and come down. His shoulders would dislocate. His elbows would dislocate. And he would be left there to die. Friends, you did not die by bleeding to death from crucifixion. Most people probably weren't flogged. He died from a cross. He died from crucifixion by not being able to breathe. So when you're hanging down, you can inhale. But in order to exhale, you have to push up on the spike in your feet and pull up on the spikes in your wrists. And it wouldn't be these long breaths where he's just going. It'd be more like. As he's just trying to find any kind of strength as his back, which is ripped open, going up and down on this cross. Guys, at about 9 a.m., About noon, it goes dark like midnight. I mean, like midnight, guys. Picture noon when it's supposed to be the hottest part, brightest part of the day, and it's midnight. And then Jesus from the cross goes, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Guys, that took everything in him to say that, because in order to say it, he has to push up. Guys, what Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani means is this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, it's the only time in the gospel accounts when I see Jesus does not call God Father. And I've heard people say, well, he said that, so people would think of Psalm 22. Really? That's the whole reason he said it. Or was Psalm 22 written because this is what Jesus would experience? Guys, he, Jesus experienced the full and complete wrath of God because of us and for us, because of our sin. The sin of the world is placed upon Jesus, and the Father poured out his wrath on his boy. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave. Guys, that's why I think he sweat drops of blood. That's why from the cross he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced what it was like to be forsaken by the Father so that we could be forgiven. And never say, I feel forsaken by God. We will never, we do not ever have to experience that because Jesus said, I'll take it for you. Guys, this is the agony. He sweat drops of blood over. And the thing is, we don't even picture the agony of the Father. You just picture jesus and what jesus endured it's like oh my gosh i can't believe you loved us that much but can you imagine the agony of the fathers he's pouring out his wrath on his son can you imagine the agony of the holy spirit it's just going oh, this is it this is it there's this break in intimacy between father and son and it's just going oh my gosh this is it can you imagine angelic beings watching this michael the archangel sword drawn just saying send me i'll destroy them all like that's not what angels do read the bible they're not strumming a harp. Can you imagine that Michael's just watching this, and they don't understand the grace of God. They have a perspective on what creation looked like, but they have no clue. They don't, they don't get grace like we do. He did not have the command, go out, save the son. Guys, for three hours, he hung there, not saying anything, dark. And then about three, three in the afternoon, Jesus knows he's about ready to die. At noon, he says, my God, my God. But at about three is when he says, Father. It's almost like, I took it all. I took the wrath. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He actually said with a loud voice. It's like, this is it, it's over. Then he says these words at the end. He knows it's it. He knows this is coming. His heart is going like crazy, trying to find any ounce of blood left in his body. Can you imagine with one last pull up on the spikes and push up on his feet? He just pulls up and screams out, "It is finished!" Dies, guys. You know what Jesus actually literally said from the cross? What he literally said? It's a banker's term. He didn't literally say it is finished. What he literally said was paid in full. It's paid in full. Why'd have to, why would he have to be that? Why would he have to die like blood and guys? Everything in Leviticus, all these sacrifices, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin, all of that pointed to what Jesus would do. All of that was a picture of what Jesus Himself, God, would come and do for us could he say it's finished how could he say paid in full how could he have such confidence that it was over like He can't come back from the dead yet i think it's in colossians where i think it's paul it says it was impossible for death to hold him down so it wasn't like don't picture jesus in the grave going oh, i can't starts fighting with death and he's like oh i'm losing it's kind of like when my boys were like one and they wanted to wrestle dad but when i'm done i'm just like i roll him and like that was cute guys on that in that moment on the cross he died when he died the earth shook and then the scene shifts from the cross to the temple and inside the temple there's called the holy of holy places this is the holy of holies. this is what's separated from the rest of the temple it's the place where the ark of the covenant is kept the curtain is somewhat 18 inches thick the high priest would go into that place one time a year to present a sacrifice for the people of Israel. Guys, that curtain, the Bible says, was torn from top to bottom as if the father took his finger and sliced that sucker open. And it flew open as if God was saying, you now have access to me. Why? Because it's been paid in full. It's been paid in full. Anyone can come back. Where I used to stop. I used to stop the story there. Does make people feel guilty? We pastors are good at that. He's like, do you get it? He died, he died for you. He died for you. How do you feel? I feel like trash. Good he died for you. What are you gonna do? Nothing bad ever. Good. As if the whole reason Jesus died is so we'd make better decisions. I haven't said a he died so he wouldn't say a swear word. I used to leave it there. I remember speaking at a camp, this was almost 20 years ago. And I'll never forget it. There's this young man that was on my heart the whole time. I was like, God, please, work in his heart, work in this heart. And it's time to call kids to commit. And this is when I would make people walk forward. And I don't have anything wrong with it's fine. But a lot of it was for me because I just felt powerful. It's ego, it's all about ego. Respond to me, my message. It's like I'm standing on a stage. they come to me, my little ones. And I saw him in the back. Kids are coming forward, and I saw him to kind of do that. And I went, oh. And he sat back, and I was like, oh, get him. Holy Spirit, get him. I'm like he's a dog. Get him. of I said, the kid stood up, and he walked forward. And I'm like, be cool, because I'm the pastor. Of course, we're fine with this. Greatest miracles you could ever watch, and the pastor has no emotions. Dealing with this stuff. Next day, he comes walking. Up, Brian, did you see me? I was like, I did, dude. I was praying for you, being cool about it. and then he goes, "Hey, can I ask you a question?" I said, "Absolutely, dude." And I was like, "Of course, I have the answers. I'm the camp speaker. I speak seven messages. I know what I'm talking about." He said "Can I ask you a question?" I said, Absolutely. He goes, "What happened next?" Left Jesus in a tomb. I looked at him. I, I, twenty years later, I've never forgotten to finish the story. I got so convicted. I'm like, why would I do that? Why? Because it's much easier to make people feel guilty to have some response that I feel better about myself because I saw the response than to tell them that three days later Jesus kicked death in the face and came back from the dead. Guys, when people come back to victory. When people respond to the victory that Jesus has over sin and death, it's all about him. When I can guilt them and leave them in a tomb, I get credit. When you make a decision for Jesus based upon his victory, based upon joy, based upon knowing you're accepted, based upon knowing that he won. When you make that decision to surrender to Christ, not accept him into your life, that is bogus theology. We do not accept Jesus into our lives. We have no life before Jesus. We're dead in our sin. When I surrendered to Christ, the Father wooed me to surrender to Jesus. I heard the message of the gospel. This good news, this great joy that's for all the people. And I responded and surrendered my life to God. As a 17-year-old kid at a camp three rows back where the pews came together. I still remember it because I heard about this God who came as a man died and took my place and came back from the dead why? because he stinking loved me and he wanted me he'd rather go through crucifixion to fight death to beat hell and to come back from the dead than to live eternally without me And I know who I am. I drive myself nuts. I'm so irritated by me all the time. And God did not die for the perfected version of me. He died for the sin-filled, rebellious version of me. Where I say, I don't even like me. God says, I'll take you. Just as you are, but I leave you too much to leave you the same. The goal is to make you look. What else could God do to prove to you that He loves you? What else could He do? Genesis chapter 3. We deserve the curse. We deserve death. We deserve hell. That is what we deserve. The grace of God moves us to this story of God's desire for us. We don't deserve it. I remember a young man at the campus a few years ago explained this. and he comes, he's comes, he comes walking up to me afterwards, just to ask me a question. And I'd kind of learned from then: I don't stand up front. Come to me, little children. I'd already sit in the back. I usually just sit in the back and watch it all happen. Now, and he comes in the back and he, he goes, "Brian, can I ask you a question, or can I tell you something?" I like, "Sure." And he's kind of starting to cry. I'm like, "Oh, what do we do?" Because us guys, we don't, we don't know what to do with tears. We don't do it. We don't cry. If we cry at a movie, it's just because our eyes watered. He starts, he's like, I don't, I just don't feel worthy. And I looked at him and I went, you're not. You're not worthy. And his eyes got massive. He's like, huh? And no joke, he goes, okay, thanks. And he starts to walk away. And I see, "Whoa, come here! I'm not done. I was like, maybe I should have thought about this. I said, I'm not done. No, no, come here. Let me finish. You're not worthy. You Do not have to stand up in order to be made right with God. You are saved by no works, nothing you do makes you right with God. But before I ask you if you want salvation, I have to ask you again. I asked the question last night: Is Jesus worth it? He gives the invitation: Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. He says, Anyone who wants to be found worthy to be my disciple must deny himself, pick up his cross, follow me. About becoming a follower of Jesus, not getting then not getting saved, and then deciding if you want to follow. It's like, are you gonna follow him? Is he worth it? When you understand the worth of the one who's called you, the worth of the one who did all of this, when you realize that he is indescribable, beyond worthy, beyond value, when you realize who he is and he gives that invitation, that invitation is beyond value. And whatever it takes, you say, I want you. And when you say, I'm all in, I will follow you, Jesus says, that salvation's yours. It's a gift. You don't work for it, it's done. Why? It's been paid in full. There's nothing you add to a payment that's paid in full. But you cannot be right with God without surrendering to Jesus as the Lord of your life, as the master. To confess him as Lord means to say, Jesus, your Lord, but then my life will follow what it is that I just said. That's what that word confess means. That you can see my confession in how I live. And I believe that, I, I believe he died on the cross, came back from the dead, Romans 10, 9 and 10. You confess with your mouth, Jesus, is the Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You call out to him to save you, and he will. But when you say that he's Lord of your life, what you're saying is, I follow, I submit, I surrender. You are Lord, I have no rights. I only want you. What do you get out of that? Do I get joy? Do I get peace? There are some byproducts in that, but here's the best part. You get Jesus. You Just get him. cares about the rest of the stuff? So you don't have to stand up. You don't. I just invite you to, if you want to, so you can remember on February 15, 2020, I remember I was at Heartland. I remember that's where i stood up because i had surrendered my life to jesus the standing up doesn't save you the standing up is just telling us that you did it and it, if you didn't have maybe it happened earlier 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 today or yesterday or last night or whatever but you want to say i stood up this is my i remember it i remember standing up and saying i just want to surrender my life to jesus but here's the twist we're gonna have heads up and eyes open i'm sure some of you've been to places where like bow your heads the only one gets to watch is the preacher. You ever notice that? Like the preacher gets to watch. So it's God and the preacher. They're watching. The rest of us headbutt. I, I remember the, my first year of ministry, full-time, well, not full-time, part-time. I was a junior high guy. I was at camp with our middle schoolers, and the guy goes, bow close your eyes. And am like, oh, this is it. So I bow my head. Then I I start to peek because I want to know what, what, like, are my students making the decisions? So I start to peek. And the guy, he's done the whole thing. close your eyes. If you want to accept Jesus into your life. I hate that phrase, just raise your hand. That's all you have to do, just raise your hand. I'm like, I didn't know any different then. I wanted to see. And then I heard him do this. As I'm looking around, he goes, no peeking. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't send me to hell, I'm sorry. And he starts to count. You've been in one of those experiences? See that hand? One, two, three, four, good. Praise the Lord. Praise. Five, 12. I'm sitting with my head down going, You're stupid. 12, 37, 122, 406. I'm like, there's 200 kids here. 32,000. You're like, oh, my gosh, the county just got saved. I look back at that and go, what are you doing? Just raise your hand. That's all it takes him into your life, I'd rather just go what the Bible says, confess that he's Lord, he's master, believe your dad and cross came back from the dead, call out to him to save you. you, say I want to follow, and Jesus goes, ah, welcome home, and he gives you salvation, and following him will cost you everything the rest of your life, but when you realize the value of the one that called you, giving up everything is. So if you've surrendered your life to Jesus at some point since you've been here, and this isn't like rededicated—if you've already—if you have a relationship with Jesus, this isn't you, but you've never surrendered to Christ. And maybe you did it last night, or sometime today, or just now, and you want to make it known. And the whole purpose: eyes up, (laughs) eyes up, head open—that doesn't make any sense. Heads up, eyes open. Because what do we look at this morning? When one who is lost comes home, all of heaven celebrates. So, with all of heaven celebrating, why are we sitting like this? Heaven's having a party, and we're just like this. And I think the angels look at God going, "Why do they do that?" And God's like, "I don't know. I never told him to." (laughs) The whole reason is so we can celebrate with you guys. That's the whole point. We just want to. We just want to celebrate like heaven celebrates you. You don't have to stand up, though. But you gotta make it known. So he's like, "I just can't stand up." And there's no guilt in this. If you say, "I don't, I don't want to do it," that's okay, totally fine. But if I don't stand up, how you'll feel? I'm fine. My job's not to save. I just get to share. There's no ego left. God ripped that apart. This is for you. But you gotta make it known. So he's like, "I just can't stand." Then promise me that you'll find someone, especially if it's you. Up to him and say, surrender to Jesus. let them start the party. I don't need it. I'm okay. I mean, I want to I want to be part of it. But don't do it it's like, oh, he sweat when you preach. He really preached his guts out, Friends, I, I sweat peeling oranges. It doesn't take much. <laughs> so if you want to stand to say, I surrendered my life to Jesus, whether it was early today or Head up, every eye open. Would you just stand up? You've never done it, it's nice like surrendering to Jesus. So cool. Don't sit down. No, no, no. Stay up. Stay up. If you stood up, stay up. So good. <laughs> never gets old, right? Hey there. Anybody else? Remember, you don't have to, but this is if you want to remember. On the 15th of February, I did this. Anybody else? Okay, for those of you standing, let me just ask you two questions. Just respond out loud. One word. Just to go with scripture. By standing up, are you saying that you believe or that you're confessing that Jesus is the master of your life? No? (laughs) It's all choked up. (laughs) You had some fun at rec, huh? Okay. And by standing up, are you saying that you believe that he died on the cross and came back from the dead? Then welcome to the family! Oh, God. Oh, God. You guys can have a seat. For those of you that have surrendered to Jesus, here's the promise of the Scriptures: When you surrendered your life to Christ, you changed from dead to alive, from objects of his wrath to objects of. Breath, you are now sons and daughters of the King. Your identity has changed not from sinner but to saint. Doesn't mean you're not a sinner still. I huh? still struggle with sin outside of Jesus, and you always will. But He's worth the fight. And the Holy Spirit of God is now in you to lead, to guide, to counsel, to it's a word that churches don't use a lot now. I don't know why. I feel like churches want to make sure it's like, you guys are so, we're broken, guys. We're broken. Like, we're the victims. We're broken. God would call that no. Okay, we're broken, but we broke it. There's sin in the world because we're sinners. We're not victims of it. We did it. Sin means I'm an of rebellion against God. And there's this one word we don't say any hardly ever, and we need to. Repent. Here's what repent means. I know it's like sounds like repent. I'm just going to start preaching fire and brimstone. Repent. We give those old school preachers a bad name. Why? Because what they're doing is they're crying out for you to do what? Repent means I'm going one direction, so I repent and I turn around. That's all it means. Repent. Come back. Like repent and turn to Jesus. Turn from sin and come to Christ. For some of you, you've been wandering on like you say oh i'm a follower of jesus but you look like you belong to hell guys there's one rule there's one thing we have to do to call ourselves followers of jesus there's one thing it's called follow one rule and follow leader you know what it is follow the leader it's like well i'm a christian i'm just not practicing that's like me saying i'm married i'm just not practicing it makes no sense it's like brian you're coming on pretty hard Whether you're like the younger brother, made Vegas look JV, or like the older brother, who's all about religion and legalism, because both are damnable. Both are in need of a Savior. Both are in need of the Lordship of Jesus and the coming of the grace of God. So some of you are at that point, you've got to come back. Others of you, you're just broken. You are broken. Like you, you love Jesus, you're fallen, but you are broken. There's something you're going through that is so difficult, and you've never told anybody. Or you have, but tonight you're just going, God, would you please make it stop? And maybe tonight is the night where you just sit there and go, I cast it all on you because I know that you care for me. I'm not going to ask which camp you're in. That's up to you. But if you're saying, I'm coming home or, God, I'm broken, if that—if you're in one of those two camps, and it's up to you, which one everyone is, you don't have to tell me. If you're in one of those two, and it's anybody in the room, you got to repent or if you're broken, so if you're a student, you're a youth leader, you're a youth pastor, camp staff, Mayor of Badger, if there is one where <laughs> whoever you are, you gotta come back or you Leaders, youth pastors, isn't this why you do this? It's not the beds. It's not the camp beds, right? Every time you roll over, it's like <laughs> it doesn't matter which camp bed. It's all for camp. It's just fine. For those of you standing, whatever the reason is, can I just remind you? There's a God who is so flipping out. He is so extreme. So if you're broken, realize that God says you come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For those that are repenting, hear no shame, feel no shame. Just hear the Father say, welcome home. That's it. So neither either camp, can I just tell you, welcome back. Welcome back. And it's up to you what you want to share. Not with me. I'm not the Savior. You're youth pastors. pray someone's like I says, okay I want to stand whatever it is I don't care and stand and if you don't totally fine and then you're gonna be dismissed to your sobs. Okay? Make sense? Father I thank you that tonight we saw the greatest miracle we could ever watch people passing from death to life you changing them to know that all of heaven celebrates that you lead the party. God, we thank you. God, for those who surrendered for the first time, we give you thanks. And those who are standing now because they're broken or because they're repenting and coming back, Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would instill in them and help them to understand the value of Jesus. That Jesus, you would help them to see your value and your worth and everything about you is worth it. That their life would just be dedicated to be following you. Thank you that you're the God of all comfort, that you meet us in our pain, in our distress, and you just say, Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. To God, all that has happened tonight, all that will continue to happen to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Love you more than you know. Love you more than you know. You're off to show